0: This is Cody Smith, and you're listening to The Virtuous Fitness Podcast. All right, what's up, you guys? Welcome back to The Virtuous Fitness Podcast. You guys, this hands down is quite possibly one of the most impactful, and powerful conversations that I have ever had on this podcast platform. My guest is Mr. Brad Jensen of Key Nutrition. He is also known um, by most people as the Sober Bodybuilder on Instagram. And in today's show, we jump into his just insanely powerful story of, you know, essentially being, you know, uh, a junkie and really heavily into drugs and his time in jail and how he managed to spin that and it essentially allowed it to shape him into the person that he is today and the coach and the leader and the uh, business um, leader that he is today. This conversation for me was extremely impactful. I, I found myself many times just being captivated by the story and how he really managed to turn his story into You know, this just this extremely powerful message. Um, And I'm super excited for you guys to listen to it for today. Now, do me a favor. As always, we always need your help to help get this show in the hands of more people just like you. So first thing you can do would be to first head on over to iTunes and give this show a five-star rating and review. Um, Tell us what you like about the show. Maybe, you know, give some recommendations of guests that you would like us to have on. We always love getting those recommendations in that. Um, But just more importantly, just letting us Know what you think about the podcast. And then the second thing you can do would be to simply take a screenshot on your phone and then post it on your Instagram story and then tag both Brad and I in it. He is at the Sober Bodybuilder on Instagram and I am at Coach Cody Smith. Again, take that screenshot, post it on your story. We would just love to connect with you in the direct messages and to just see who is getting value and listening to this show. Uh, so that's all I got for you guys today. Without any further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and get Brad on here. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. I am super fortunate that I am joined by Mr. Brad Jensen of Key Nutrition. Um, he and I have a, a mutual uh, friend, Mr. Cody McBroom. And those of you who listen to the show for any period of time know exactly who Cody is. He's been mentoring me for a number of years. And... Um, you know, I, did, I recently had heard listen to Brad's interview on Cody's podcast, and I just was uh, telling a little bit before the show, before we started hitting record or whatever, that, um, man, that was a really intense story. So my goal with this interview is to, to kind of get this story out to you guys and then more or less just dig into who Brad is and, and what he does for work and uh, how he changes people's lives. So, um, Brad, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. Big shout out to the homie Cody.
0: I know. Are you guys still working together as far as nutrition? I know he was doing it for you for a little bit.
1: Yeah. No, nah, nah, it's been, uh, I think it's been probably a year, but okay. Cody's the homie, dude. He's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, first and foremost was a friend. And then I was getting ready for a photo shoot. Um, I Probably, I got, I think it was two years ago and I, and I hired him and I was like, yeah, man, just get me ready for this. You know, I just need a little bit of accountability getting ready for this. And it was supposed to just be four months. And then I think a year and a half later, I canceled my training. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I hired him. Uh, I I've told this story a handful of times on the show here is I actually hired him. Uh, I run a, a in-person facility, uh, for fitness here and he, uh, he was just in my local area, and I had seen a post of him. He was doing like a barbell snatch or something like that, and uh, saw that he was like crushing it in the online coaching space. And I was like, "Man, like I, I feel like that's a leg of my business that I need." So um, I actually reached out to him to teach me that, and you know, now we're coming up on my third year of being mentored by him, and had no idea that the, the, the crazy turn that it would take, just working with him would, uh, you know, where it would take me. But uh, definitely super fortunate that I did reach out to him and stuff like that. So, um, um, where are you at? Where are you so at I'm you? I'm out of uh, Silverdale, Washington washington we're about an hour west of seattle oh cool okay cool
1: pretty close to cody or
0: yeah i'm about a 40 45 minute drive from him from him and um i'm super fortunate to where like if i want to go train to train with him or something like that i can just drive down and luckily like when he has his masterminds i'm a you know 40 minute drive away all the other guys got to fly in from out of town and stuff like that so makes it much easier for sure for (laughs) sure so brad man uh like I said, I was very intrigued by your story. I thought it had like a lot of power in it. Um, so let's kind of rewind a little bit. Let's jump into your story in a nutshell. And then, um, you know, we'll dig into some other things from there.
1: Right on. Sounds good, man. You just want me to go?
0: Yeah, go for it. Go ahead and shoot. Just go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You want the long version or the short version?
0: We can, we can go back as long or as short as you feel. I'll go somewhere in between. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, my name is Brad Jensen. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, I own a company called Key Nutrition, and uh, we've somehow, despite me, gone on to have pretty good success. So that's mm-hmm. been fun, but um, it's uh, it wasn't always like that for me. And you know, my story in a nutshell um, is you know I grew up uh, I grew up and I was I was kind of a chunky kid, right? I was kind of the the, the overweight kid. And I don't know how else to also explain that other than the fact that I always felt this twinge of anxiety. And it's like a 10, 11 year old kid. You can't be like, Hey mom, I'm having some anxiety. Right. And so it was, uh, I felt restless and irritable and like discontent from, from an early age. And I was also overweight and, my, and I was picked on by my friends though. Like it's important to note, like people had way worse bullying situations than me. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was hanging out with the cool kids, but I was made fun of for being fat. Right. Like they would make little fat jokes or, and so I was super insecure. Right. And I look back and what's funny was I, I thought I was this morbidly obese kid. I just happened to hang around with skinny friends. Like, you know, (laughs) And, and I was a chunky kid, but like not not what I thought I was, and so um, I can look back and I'm like, "Oh, bud, you were just a short little kid who hadn't hit a growth spurt yet. Chill out." But I felt so uncomfortable, and so um, you know, I experimented with some alcohol about 12, 13 years old. And uh, I came from a good religious family; like that wasn't part of my family. We didn't have alcohol in the house, and so it was one of those things where I knew I shouldn't be doing it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I, but I did it anyways, and. I remember how gross that that whiskey tasted, and I was like, "Ah!" Oh. And then about twenty minutes later, for the first time in my whole life, I was like, "I feel comfortable in my skin. This is great." And so, that kind of progressed, and and during that time too, um, you know, I really I really learned to use humor, uh, to have people laugh with me instead of at me. So I started doing. I don't know how old are you? Uh, Thirty four. Okay, yeah. So you remember like that Chris Farley? Oh yeah. Uh, Matt Foley, <laughs> band down by the river skit. Saturday Night Live, oh yeah, oh yeah, I would imitate that, Tommy Boy, I knew every line, and I realized that if I can get these people to laugh with me, but the ironic part was, Chris Farley ended up dying from a speedball from heroin and cocaine, which is where my story leads to, mm-hmm. kind of an interesting little thing there, but uh, uh, during that time, too, I found, uh, I was about 14 years old, and I went to a bookstore, this is pre, like, now it would just be like Google, G-O-O-G-L-E, Right, right. Right. But, This is 1997, 98, and uh, I'm at a bookstore with my mom, and she's shopping for a book. And I go in the magazine section, and I remember I'm just kind of waiting for, and I see this uh, Muscle and Fitness. I saw this guy on there, and I was like, I want to look like that guy. Like it made no sense to me. I had never worked out, so I picked the magazine up, and I was just enthralled, man. I was I was captivated by. I was just it was the first time in my life I had ever felt passionate about anything. Mm -hmm. And so I kept reading and reading, and then I would take my bike after school to go back to the bookstore to keep reading. I read the whole encyclopedia of bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I read all these things, but I didn't have access to a gym yet, and my parents wouldn't get me a membership. And so I started, because um, you had to, they had to like go with me because I was so young, mm-hmm. and they weren't about to go to the gym. So I started applying the nutrition knowledge, but little did I know that this nutrition stuff was probably for like a bikini competitor so i'm eating like cans of tuna fish is like a sophomore in high school in the, in the hallway right and i couldn't figure out why girls wouldn't talk to me and i was like well bro you're eating eating fucking tuna oh sorry i don't know where i am the spot no
0: it's funny too so uh somebody uh cursed my podcast recently and they were like hey is this like edited and i was like it was cody was actually my first guest and he came on here and he's just dropping f-bombs and stuff like that and i was like well definitely not gonna be a clean podcast anymore i had to change it so no you're good to go you do your thing you know what it's funny
1: i uh you know i have a podcast we've done over 200 episodes and i don't say the f word in there anymore yeah a lot of our market especially living in utah is uh, more conservative LDS <laughs> people and so i uh i cannot say the f word just fine and go or i can say it all the time it's very interesting <laughs> not whatever whatever uh,
0: rolls off most natural i'm cool with it
1: um so i uh i started applying this and i also hit a growth spurt during this time so i ended up uh I ended up losing a bunch of weight, but I almost got too skinny because I was probably on like, God knows 1200, I don't know. I wasn't counting them. And then I got picked on by my friends for being too skinny. And it was right about that time I could drive. So I got a gym membership and I started applying everything I'd learned in the encyclopedia bodybuilding by Arnold and, and, and actually started talking to a lot of guys at the gym that were big. And I was that annoying kid to be like, Hey man, how'd you get that big? And they start talking to me and, and one guy sat down with me and, and drew me out a little bit of like of a food plan. It was like triple what I had been eating. So I started applying this and my body transformed and I was hooked. I loved the gym. And during that time, too, I found out how bad alcohol was for for making gains. Right. And, um, you know, the information didn't tell me this, but how I perceived it was if I drink alcohol, It's going to ruin every bit of muscle I have on my body. So I wouldn't drink. I just stopped. I was like, nope, can't do that anymore, guys. And I was addicted to the gym. And so that went on and uh, I transformed my body. (coughs) And I was in love with it. It was like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Came back from my junior year of high school. I was jacked. The girls girls started paying attention. In fact, the hottest girl in school who didn't know I existed the year before (laughs) was into me. And... It was a really interesting dynamic because it fed this kind of ego that, you know, in, and still to this day, I have to work on it. What, you know, 20 years later about remembering that like I am not the size of muscle I have, right? Like my identity was so closely tied to how jacked I was because that's what got me attention. I was all of a sudden the cool kid in school. And I, you know, still to this day, I have to remember that like I'm so much more than just being a jacked dude. And so, uh, During that time though, and I, and I was getting all the attention, but I still just felt like this missing part. Like I couldn't, I just felt uncomfortable still in my own skin. Like I thought, okay, I'll get jacked. I get muscles. I get the hot girl. I'm going to be good. And I still felt this twinge of anxiety all the time. And so we pulled up to a, a party and I'll never forget this. I don't remember much from high school. I remember bits and pieces, but we pull up and, uh, And my buddy and I remember high school, I shouldn't say that, but this kid, my buddy, he looked at me, my buddy Todd, we're about to go on the party and he says, hey, dude, I got to be honest with you. Everyone talks shit on you when you leave. And I said, why? He said, well, because you always bring in your muscle muscle milk ready to drink protein shakes and they all they all call you protein when you leave. And I was like, you know, I'm now today I would be like, who gives a shit? But I was super insecure. I was like, well, that's 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 not cool. And so he was like, yeah, because I wouldn't drink. And I I was always drinking my protein shakes in there. So he said, hey, I've got these pain pills. um, You know, if you want to try some. And I remember this is how naive I was. And this is how quick it progressed is I said, oh, I'm not in any pain, man. (laughs) And he laughed and he said, nah, man, they'll make you feel drunk, but you won't have a hangover. Like they'll get you messed up. And I was like, really? I was like, all right, let me try them. So I tried them. 30 minutes later, I remember when they hit me, I remember where I was in that weird house in the kitchen and it hit me. And I thought, this is the feeling I want the rest of my life. Like there was no doubt in my mind. I loved it. It it grabbed me. And I was like, I'd never felt so good in my whole entire life. And, And it quickly progressed so much so that the next day I hit that same kid up and I said, dude, let's get more of those. And he said, oh man, I stole, I stole them out of my mom's cabinet. I can't do that. So I arranged to go over there to hang out with him. And when he went in the bathroom, I went in the cabinet and I took more like that I look back and I'm like, that is such an abnormal behavior that quick to be stealing. them. And uh, it wasn't until I was on a podcast probably a year or two ago that I identified just like, wow, that's how quick it grabbed me. And so it progressed really quick. And, uh, you know. Some people can just use drugs and they enjoy them. Uh, I believe I was born and this was going to be my my challenge in life because I went balls to the walls. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was taking uh, trips from my house down to Tijuana, Mexico. And just to give you a parallel, that's like 14 hours. It's not like it's four. And I'd go down there. And I, would, I had heard about it from these older guys. And so I went down there. And uh, I would go to the pharmacies and I'd take my door panels off and I would stuff them full of drugs, steroids, you name it, Oxycontin, Somas. And I would put the door panels back on and drive through the border. And I remember the first time I was nervous, but I got right through. And I was it was like idiot savant. I had no idea the amount of federal felonies I was committing by going across state lines with, or fed, you know, country lines with this amount of drugs. So I did that like four times and, and I share that because, A, that's where my entrepreneurship began, which, which I always laugh about, but I started selling. Now I was selling to other high schools. I wasn't selling to junkies. I didn't see the, the ugly part of this. I was using every single day opiates uh, because I never ran out. And uh, after the fourth time I went down, I was about to graduate high school. And by this point, I just think I'm the man. I'm high every day. I'm selling drugs. I've got boatloads of cash. My my mom's wondering where I have all this cash from. And, uh, my parents have no idea what I'm doing. And I remember one of my buddies got the idea to go down and he got caught down there and went to a Mexican prison. And I said to myself, I'm too pretty to go to prison. Like he got (laughs) stuck there for months. It was on the news, the whole works. So I said, I can't do that anymore. Well, the day came where that pill supply ran out and, and, uh, I experienced this thing called withdrawals and keep in mind during this time I'm jacked, I'm lifting every day. I got my personal training cert when I was still a senior in high school. I knew that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And so I was already certified as a trainer. I was working at a place called Bally total fitness, which I think has completely gone under now.
0: That's funny. The, there was like a, uh, I had a friend growing up named uh, Sean and he, uh, the, my first like exposure to like living health and living fitness and the gym and, you know, a really big jack guy was uh, my friend Sean's dad. And that's where he would train at. I remember seeing it on his back when he would like be picking Sean up and Hey, you gotta, I got a, you know, I just got done from the gym and he's got his ballet total fitness bag in the back of the truck and stuff like that. So it's funny you mentioned that it's been years since that place has been around.
1: Dude, I mean, this is 2003, right? Yeah. And they hadn't done a thing in there since 1981. I'm talking fluorescent lights everywhere. <laughs>
0: it was the cheesiest
1: <laughs> shit. So, um, you know, by the outside appearances, like I've got it going on. Like I drove I drove way too nice of a car for a kid that just worked as a personal trainer, but that was from selling drugs. And the day came that they ran out. And when they ran out, I had started hearing about people like, I didn't realize how hooked I was because for six months straight, I never ran out. I did them every day and sometimes more than others, but every day and the day came where it ran out and I'll never forget where I was. It ran out and I got sick. I was really sick and I was vomiting and anxiety and cold shivers and, and I was like, holy shit, this is the withdrawals that people talked about. Cause again, I was selling to high school kids that would do them on weekends. I wasn't selling to people that were coming to my house, like sweating and vomiting on themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I experienced that ugly side of addiction and, and it was with somebody who, uh, who said, Hey man, uh, I got something that'll make you feel better. And he presented heroin to me. And I remember my first thought was like, I came from an upper middle-class family, like Salt Lake City, Utah. Like I was like, nah, dude, I don't do that. That is a line in the sand that I've drawn. And, um, about 20 minutes went by and I was still so sick. And I said, dude, let me see it. So I shot up heroin for the first time. Um, when I was an 18 year old kid, uh, almost 19. And, and I remember doing it once and I felt better, but I was like, okay, this is definitely the next level. And I can't go into that. So I thought I would stop there, but of course the next day I was sick again. So I got more and, and it progressed. And, uh, By the time I was 20, I ended up in my first inpatient rehab center. And I remember when I called my mom to tell her that I had a heroin addiction. I'll never forget. I told her, I said, I need some help. She said, from what? She knew I partied, but she had no idea what was going on. I was moved out of the house. And and it was dead silence for 30 minutes. She dropped the phone. And I was like, hello? Hello? She came back on. She said, wait, heroin? I said, yeah. And she said, how are you doing the heroin? I said, I shoot it up. And she just lost it. And um, they put me in a treatment center. So I went to my first treatment center. And unfortunately, uh, I wasn't ready to get sober. I just wanted to stop doing heroin. And um, and so I got out of that treatment center and continued to use. And it, uh, Sorry, dude. I feel like I'm not taking a breath for you. No, no,
0: you're good. You're doing perfect. You're doing perfect. Keep going. The story, like, and that's what I'm saying is like, when you told this story on, um, Cody's podcast, it just, um, it always blows me away to where like, when I'm talking to, you know, people that are very successful or high level coaches and like, none of us have this story that is like, you know, cause many a times we get told by clients that, well, and I'm sure you hear this from time to time too. It's like, you know, they, they think that this fitness and this nutrition and this lifestyle stuff really comes easy, but there's so many trials and tribulations, you know, before that story, before, you know, they even, uh, like they see the, the, the after effects of all these issues and all these things and now my story isn't nowhere near as uh, deep and in-depth as in yours but um I think that really helps to build us as who's we as who we are so I think it's important that you do share the story so you're doing great man keep going
1: okay sweet dude sorry my there we go I don't know what happened there Okay. Well, good. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I do podcasts. And so when I interview people and they don't take a breath, I'm like, God damn it, dude, let me say something. <laughs> no, You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, so it progressed, you know, I got out of rehab and, um, you know, thought I would just kind of be fine. I went back to drinking with my buddies a little bit and pretty quick, it progressed back to the club drugs, the ecstasy, you know, um, and real quick, it was back to what I really loved, which was heroin and and cocaine And so um, that pattern continued, so that was 2005. My sobriety date is November uh, 20th of 2012. And for the next seven years, it was incomprehensible demoralization. Like it, you know, I haven't met yet somebody that's like super successful, has a great family, you know, great business. And they're like, oh yeah, and I've been using heroin for two decades. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. No, I haven't met one successful doesn't. heroin addict, you know, mm-hmm. and you even look at rock stars and, and the, eventually they lose their careers, you know, and, and maybe their life. And so there's just no path in which being a heroin addict ends up positive. There's no path. And um, it's the great equalizer. It doesn't care if you're black, right, rich, poor, um, buff, not buff come from a good family, come from a bad. family It doesn't matter. It doesn't discriminate. And, uh, and it grabbed a hold and I bounced in and out of treatment centers. And during that time too, I started getting arrested. And let me tell you, if you're not ready to get clean and you get caught up in the system, you will continue to go back. So I had 17 bookings into the county jail, Um, did, you know, three months here, two months here, six months here. And, uh, I went to seven different treatments in that time. And it was always, I'd get out and I'd have this renewed hope and I'd get back to lifting and I'd get back my size. And, and then the day would come where I would use again. And it always felt like, why is this happening? But there is a reason why it happened because I wasn't doing what I was told to do in recovery groups. I wasn't applying any of it. It's like when a client is so frustrated, they can't lose weight. And it's like, well, no shit, you're not putting in the work. Like your, your C-minus effort is better than your F effort, but it's not good enough to get you what my clients who are consistent B plus players get, right? So I felt like this victim, like, poor me, I can't get sober. Like, why do I? (coughs) Excuse me? (coughs) Why do I keep going back? I wasn't doing the work. There was a clear path of these suggestions to me. And I would pick and choose which ones I wanted to do. And I'm sure you see that with clients or, you know, where "Uh, I'll kind of do this, but I really don't want to do that. Or I'll track my food, but I'm not going to give up, you know, getting shit face drunk Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it's like, well, okay, then you're going to get what you've always got. So I, um, the last year of my using, so I did a whole year in jail. Um, and that was a long stretch for me from 2011 to the beginning of 2012. And during that time I had never had so much clean time. Um, And so I got out and I, and I was serious. I was ready to do this. I was like, mom, this is my time. They were super excited. And I got out and I got out January 27th, 2012. My birthday was January 31st. I hadn't showed up to a birthday, either sober or showed up period in six years. They were so excited for me to show up sober. And, um, and so was I, and I got out and instead of going to like a recovery meeting or Doing any of this, I I thought going tanning was more important and buying some new clothes, hanging out with a girl I should have been hanging out with. And within three days, that craving came back. And they talk about it in the recovery community, this phenomenon of craving where it just comes back. My stomach started to hurt. And I was like, no, no. And I called the dealer. And I remember thinking, there's no way this crackhead has the same number. They change it all the time. And he picked up and he told me to come meet him and they talk about playing the tape through in recovery. And I played the tape through and I still went. And I went and I was crying going down there because I knew that I couldn't convince myself that this was gonna be different. See, my pattern was in the past that I would go on binges for three or four months, maybe even two months, really bad. Then something would intervene. My parents sent me to detox, to rehab. The cops would intervene, put me in jail, give me a little clean time. And, um, and I'd get out and I'd stay sober for a little bit. And that's the dance I did. And so when people are yo-yo dieters, I get it. It's different, but I get it. And so this last time, um, I go out and I use And I can't play the tape through because I knew that my parents, they said, we, we, if you go back out, we're done. Like, we have to be. And uh, needless to say, I went out and I didn't show up to my birthday party. I got high. And I played the tape through and I said, you're not going to stop. You don't stop. You're going to destruct everything. And, uh, and that's what happened that whole year of 2012. And keep in mind, like I had lived in my car previous years, like it was ugly. And I just went and I didn't draw another sober breath from that day, January 30th until my sobriety date of November 20th. And I kept going that whole year, and my parents did exactly what they said they were gonna do, and they um, they cut me off, and I and I'm grateful for that because I needed to hit a rock bottom that I didn't know existed, and they were they were done helping me. I'd stole from them, I'd lied to them for years, and they finally just said like You can't come around here anymore. We don't trust you. You're not allowed. You have to find your own path, and we hope you don't die. And so it got ugly that year. It just went. And went and went and I started doing methamphetamine that year and it was a very methodical decision I thought if I start using meth I'll have more energy so I'm not so tired so I can hustle to get more heroin bizarre thinking the meth led me to some insane people and um, a very dark world uh, that's the only way I can describe it it was even darker than heroin and I was still doing heroin every day and um, You know i always kind of still looked buff and i didn't look like a junkie that last year i looked like a junkie there was no doubt about it It, i had finally just given up on the hope of even trying to get sober because it was almost more painful to keep saying okay i'm gonna get sober and then my my pattern was is that i never did and so i just said you know what i'm a junkie this is what i'm gonna do i'll be lucky to live to 30. Like, I'm just going to embrace the lifestyle of being a drug addict and junkie. So, I was homeless that whole year. I was very resourceful. So, I never slept on the streets, but I went and went and went. And it got dark and ugly. And I saw shit that to this day, I had to like just never thought I would see um, people being tortured over drug debts. And it was awful. And it got to the very end of the year. And my, I, my family wasn't contacting me. I wasn't allowed to contact him. And I understand why I, I didn't like him for it at the time, but mm-hmm. I understood why. And my mother called me on November 15th um, of that year. And she informed me that my grandfather had passed away. And this is the same grandfather that I had plans to go see and I dogged him, right? Cause I couldn't stay sober. And um, she said, I'm gonna pick you up for the funeral. And she said, just do whatever you have to do to be okay. And she knew what that meant. It meant not be too high that I'm drooling on myself and not be dope sick. And I was like, oh, mom, that's cute. If I could ever find that perfect mix. And so, of course, I ran out of the drugs. So she picked me up, and uh, but I knew I needed to show up for my grandfather. So I got in the car, and she's like, you're dope sick, aren't you? And I said, yeah. Keep in mind, this is like a good religious lady that's never done drugs. And I said, but I'm going to be okay. And within 10 minutes, I started vomiting in their car and I was so sick sweating everywhere and she said you can't go up like this and she's crying she said what do we need to do so I gave her the address to the dealers so I make my mother take me to the dealers I go in there and I score some dope and by this point we are running so late because I had to have her go so out of the way and we had to drive an hour north to go to this funeral and she said I can't stop somewhere for you to do this just do whatever you have to do so I hopped in her back seat and uh pulled out my spoon and my needle and, and I'm, I'm cooking up my heroin shot and my mom's watching me trying to find a vein in my arm. And I'll never forget. I looked in the rear view. She, I looked at the rear view mirror and she was looking and she's just tears just rolling down her face. And, um, that image is always ingrained in my head. And for that, like, I'm grateful. Like even when, anytime I talk about, I remember that distinctly, that image. And, um, you know shot it up and, and of course instantly I felt better but I remember my first thought wasn't like oh, I feel so much better after I felt better right away I said to myself and it was very clear and I had not been suicidal out there I said you have two options right now bro you either need to kill yourself or you need to get sober there was not an option that included going another day being a junkie it was the ultimate act of selfishness to have my mother not only drive me to get drugs, make her pay for them, but then get in the backseat of her car and shoot up heroin just so I could function to be at my grandfather's funeral. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for that moment. And I, and I literally, it was like, well, maybe I should kill myself. I wasn't suicidal out there. I talked about killing myself when I was sick, but it was a very clear thought. And I thought, where can I get a gun? And I thought, maybe I should try the sobriety thing. And I was like, I don't know how. I get so, so violently ill because I'm so addicted. I I don't know. My parents won't put me in detox. I don't know what to do. And uh, that night, I was arrested. Um, You know, something was looking out over me. And I was arrested in a stolen car that the best part about the story is I had no idea it was stolen. A guy, we were going to get drugs, and he asked me to drive. And uh, so I hopped in the car, and we got pulled over. And um, I remember when those lights went on instead of panic, it was this moment of surrender where I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. So cop took me to jail. And, uh, and I remember when I got there, I was like, this is going to be hell, but I've got to walk through this. And I went through the worst withdrawals in my life. And I said stuff like I'm going to kill myself. And they put me up in the crazy unit with like the pads and, um, and I laid on the cement floor And I I felt the cold of the cement and I'm laying in literally a puddle of my own vomit up to my neck and I'm just shaking. And I remember just thinking the thought that kept replaying was this is the last time you ever ever, have to do this. If you want to, this is the last time you ever have to do this if you want to. And it was just like this, this will pass, this will pass. And it did. And uh, it was gnarly. It was, it was the gnarliest five, six days of my life. And uh, I was released from jail 30 days later and um it was i got out of jail and it was december 20th and it's cold as shit here in december (laughs) (laughs) snow was everywhere and i got out and uh i called my mom instead of calling my dope friends and uh she said you can't come here but i'll take you to a meeting so she took me to a a 12-step meeting an NAA meeting and uh and that's where my journey began like it was a simple decision to go left instead of right and I got there and, um, and in it, uh, you know, I didn't have anywhere to live, nowhere to live. And this guy at the end of the meeting, everyone's leaving and it's just me and I'm freezing out there. I have no coat. And he said, do you need a ride home? And I said, I sure do, but I don't have a home. i never forget this guy goes, oh shit. And I said, but I'm 30 days sober. I just got out of jail. And he said, I'll let you come stay at my house. So this guy let me stay at his house. It was like spiritual intervention. Was and this guy
0: I, like a leader in the meeting or was he just another attendee, like somebody just there just like you?
1: Just another guy there. I mean, he had a couple of years sober, but and I remember him telling me, if uh, if you steal from me, I will break every recovery principle and I will kick your ass. You hear me? <laughs> because I wouldn't let some junkie come stay sure. with me, to be sure. honest. And so um, he did. and I, And I started waiting tables again. Uh, I, not again, for the first time, I started waiting tables and it was a piece of humble pie. I had no car i had to I had to walk to the bus stop uh, in in snowstorms and blizzards and waiting tables and i and I bump into a guy that I used to work for at a nutrition coaching place, and that guy gave me a job, and I'm forever grateful for that man because he gave me a job and I got back doing what I love to do. And for the first time in my life, everything they had told me in all those rehabs in all those meetings was, I finally started doing what they said and I worked these things called the 12 steps and I got a sponsor and a sponsor is essentially just a sober coach. And that's why I'm so passionate about coaching. I met with him weekly. He held me accountable. We went over the work. He gave me assignments to do. I had to report, I had to show up on time. And, um, it was just like a coaching session. Like, mm-hmm. but I went in person and we did that every week. And, um, I finally did the work and I did what they told me to do. And I put my recovery first and, you know, instead of putting the gym first and recovery second, I found, oh, I can put my recovery first and I can make it to the gym later. And so I went to a meeting every day and I started working back in nutrition and um, things just clicked, man. It was, uh, I was, I was on a call with a client and I remember her telling me and this probably five, six months over. And she starts crying at the end of the call. And she said, I'm just so grateful for you. Like you've helped change my, my life more than, you know. And I felt that, and I got a little teary-eyed. And I remember I hung up that call. And it was the first time in my whole 28 years of existence that I had felt this thing called gratitude. I was so grateful. I was so grateful. And this feeling came over me. And I thought, this is what I've been searching for in a pill and a needle and a bottle my whole life. And it was right here. And uh, I left there on cloud nine. I was so excited. And I just dove headfirst into coaching. I quit my waiting tables, and I just went and um, and and built up a clientele um, fairly fast. Looking back, but I was so hungry for it, and so I did that, and I did my meetings, I did whatever I had to do, and and it built into uh, to what it is today. That was a really long way to tell you that um, I was a drug addict.
0: <laughs> you know what's crazy about it though is that you know. Um, I heard portions of that story when you were on Cody's show and, um, you know, some of the other ways that you, you kind of went into depth, I think really helps to paint a picture um, as to not only who you are as a person, but um, what has really shaped you and built you into the type of person that you are. Because, you know, everything from your content to the types of stuff that you talk about to like now you're you're a family guy, you run a very successful business. I really think that uh, I, I personally love stories and I love that when my guests come on and they tell stories because... Painting that picture um, for a lot of people gives that buy in, right? To be like, wow, this guy's really been through some stuff here. And, um, you know, obviously we can go, we can contrast that against like maybe things that people are dealing with that are listening to this show. Maybe they're struggling with, you know, eating or, or, or training or something like that. And they hear a powerful story like that. Um, it can really help them to understand that, you know, at any point in time, you can turn things around at any point in time, you can rewrite your story. Um, and I think it's, it's incredibly powerful that you did share that. Um, so I love the context. I love the deepness that you went into it. Um, for me, I'm like, you know, I, I feel fortunate to be able to listen to it. So I hope that people are listening to uh, this show Here are are just as fortunate. Um, So, I want to kind of fast forward a little bit into like you running a business, right? Because now you run um, what what is there? I don't know of any around me where I personally live at, but a brick and mortar nutrition business. Like, um, how does that work? And then uh, I believe you said it it was kind of common out. I believe you're in Utah, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, I know you said before that it is kind of is fairly common in your area and stuff like that how did you fall into business ownership from you know working for somebody and doing nutrition with them
1: yeah so this place i've worked for this is what we did now um interesting kind of like spin on it since i've been on cody's show was um i'm a lot more virtual now Mm -hmm. but i still have a building and i still have coaches that do this but it was um this was very it still is very common here and i didn't realize that Mm -hmm. it wasn't everywhere so Uh, The place I worked at, we did these in-person consults where we would test body fat and do the inches. But what we were doing there was writing customized meal plans. Now, I mean, they weren't templated. They were like, hey, like, you know, what do you want? But it was following the six meals a day. It was, you know, and, you know, towards the end, I started to realize. And so I've, I've had key nutrition now for actually four years this month. And towards the end of that, as I was continuing to do more self-exploitation, I was like, we can't just keep putting people on meal plans. So I came to the owner and I said, we got to teach people how to eat. We can't give a man a fish or teach a man to fish type of thing. And so I had some definite issues with how we were running things. And there was too much research coming out showing that you don't have to eat six times a day and you know that it's not live or die by the glycemic index and and, uh, he basically shut my idea down. And I remember thinking, I got to go on my own. And, uh, the day came where finally I just said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I knew nothing about business. The only thing I knew about business was watching shark tank <laughs> and, uh, and listening to Gary Vaynerchuk. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Like I had no business plan, but I just went and, um, and I got, I got a facility because that's the way I knew how to do it. We were predominantly just dominating the local market at this other place. And so, um, I left, two of the other coaches came with me and uh got this building and started doing it. And um, let me tell you how many mistakes I made along the way. And I I literally cleared out because it wasn't like I didn't have overhead. I I got a building, I had to, I had to update this building with it was garbage inside. So I had to spend a bunch of money to get like it looking nice and um, I had to buy my own inbody and 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 put all computers and all these ops. So long story short, I drained my savings every, every penny I had, And I was terrified uh, to do it. And, um, you know, I remember a friend telling me, you know, get off your pit. I was like, dude, I don't know if this is working. Like I just spent all the money and like, I don't have any money. Like this is stressful. And, uh, you know, she looked at me and said, dude, if you can overcome a heroin, a homeless heroin addiction to where you're at today, you can build a business. And I was like, you're right. And That's why I've grit and grace tattooed on my knuckles was I had to get gritty. And, um, and I had to have grace with myself, just like when I first got sober to know that I'm going to make a ton of mistakes. I didn't know what I was doing. And looking back, why I love that you work with Cody is I would have been so smart to invest in a mentor then it was only about a year and a half later when I had just continued to make mistake after mistake that I'm like, I need to invest in mentorship. And so, um, built the business and what's interesting. So we have, we have a facility where, you know, people locally come in. And, um, but when we started switching to more of a macro based approach compared to meal plans, I saw that they didn't really have to come in, but they like to come in for the embody. And, um, we had a little exercise demonstration room, not like a full gym, but we could, because we'd program their workouts, but we could show them correct form. And, uh, so that's how it took off. And we, we ended up doing over a million dollars in revenue, our third year. And, um, and it was great. And, but I realized like there is it's taking up so much of my time spending half like these appointments all day with people. And so actually I I had a big long call with Cody and I'm like, dude, I've got to pivot. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, well, I don't have a choice. I have to pivot now. You know, they shut down all non-essential businesses. And so, you know, to this day, I'm, I'm almost strictly virtual Um, either zoom calls like this or online um, and I got a new kid. I've got a podcast. I've got a couple different courses I'm doing. I mentor people. I still have coaches that work for me that do in person. Um, And it's a cool, I mean, I think you build a little better connection. Those in-person appointments, they cost a little more than online coaching, but really good for people that don't know jack shit about nutrition. Like come in, we sit down and after we kind of evaluate their stats, which quite frankly, I don't put that much stock into anymore. So that's why I'm not so big on having people come in. Mm-hmm. But where we really thrive as a business is taking people that are kind of newbies. So not like now I'm at a place where I like to work with more experienced people who know macros, but really our kind of like forte became really teaching people how to track macros. You know, we give them like a meal plan guide at first, but you know, how to do food exchanges and really teaching people the art of learning how to track macronutrients and do flexible dieting. And so um, that's how, you know, and it's interesting because when that pivot happened, I was like, I'm never going back in there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I like working from home, but, um, but it's been good. And, you know, I'll keep the brick and mortar going because it, it's profitable enough. And, um, and my coaches really like it. And so it's it's a good mix, and like I said, it's really good for people who don't know how to work out and are really new to nutrition because they get one-on-one attention in person, they get the exercise demonstration, they get all of that.
0: It's funny you you mentioned that you talked to Cody about um, kind of getting the whole pivot thing turned out because if it wasn't for him, like when this COVID nineteen thing, like you know, we have a ten thousand square foot facility, we were primarily oh, only dang. we're primarily only in person. Um, I did a little bit of remote coaching on the side just from people that had found me on social media or who were, you know, members of my facility and had moved across country and wanted um, just to continue training with us. And, you know, when COVID-19 kind of came and, and, you know, really smacked us right in the face, I was so fortunate that I had had the experience of, you know, what it's like to create connection with people through an online platform, um, how to facilitate culture when you're not face-to-face, you know, monthly console calls. Like I had these templates and these things already laid out and it was a, I'm gonna say it was as seen well I'm gonna say it was a seamless transition although there was a little bit of chaos attached to it because the the clients themselves weren't used to that but I, I'm so just so glad and grateful that I had that um, understanding of running an online space or running an online program and getting people to do workouts and getting uh, you know, I had done a lot of talking on video and having conversations. So these were things that came very natural and I just had to teach my team, but, uh, I'm so grateful just like you, uh, that Cody had taught me those things beforehand. Cause if not, I would have been, you know, walking around with my finger in my butt, trying to figure out how to, you know, how everything was going to go. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? And you, you hit on something really important there. It's two different types of it, it it
1: it's two different approaches. And creating culture in person is easier. So creating that same kind of culture and vibe and family feel of being part of the key nutrition family when it's more virtual and online is a different skill set. And again, this is why having people around you that that are doing good things in the industry or let's even say in your fitness journey having friends that have been successful in theirs and and running ideas by them, like having this support group of people. And I started posting content a lot. I only had like 4,000 followers last November. And because we were so heavy referral based here, we were in all the F45s and Orange Theories and we were doing a bunch of corporate wellness. So we had really dominated the local market without a huge need for much of a social presence. But I could feel me needing to make that pivot, you know? And so when that, uh, I started posting a lot and I hired a mentor to help me learn how to post content. I hired uh, Jordan Syatt, who's become a really good friend of mine, and and he tore my content to shreds. He said it was the worst he's ever seen. (laughs) He goes, you really like yourself, don't you? And I'm like, no. He's like, quit posting pictures of yourself, like your shirtless body, no one cares. And uh, so I started posting a lot of content because I knew I was gonna make a pivot personally. And, and so when, when the pandemic hit, I went even full bore on that. I'm posting content because I needed people to get the message out, you know, because we weren't just working off referrals and corporate leads and these, these gyms we kind of partnered with around town. And so, um, that was, uh, that was a huge shift. And that's when I got really, really heavy into my content because I knew I needed to kind of get the message out more to the masses. And so, you know, I still coach today, um, and I don't know if me and Cody talked about this. There's this evolution that people think is supposed to happen within coaching, where like you get to a certain point, you get a team, you do this, and then you get a mastermind, and and then you stop coaching. And I'm like, no, but I love to coach. It's in my blood. Like coaching saved my life with with sobriety, and I, and the fulfillment I get from helping a client, it's just bar none, man. It just it just So I'll always keep coaching and I don't have as many clients I used to. But, um, you know, I post content on the least sexy shit you can find. I literally talk about consistency, your habits, um, water, sleep, steps, calorie deficit. um, You know, like it's not like I have this. It is really narrow because that is the clientele that we help. It's lifestyle clients Mm -hmm. who, you know, want a better relationship with food. And, and don't quite know how to do that. And, you know, want to learn how to track macros instead of get a MetaFast plan sent to them and, you know, are scared to go to the gym because douchebags like me intimidate them. Like that's the clients we're trying to help. And so that's where a lot of my messaging came on Instagram was trying to, you know, really get the consistent basic message across in 50 million different ways.
0: I love that too. And that's something that, you know, I've been to a lot of different seminars and courses and, you know, they've been i've actually worked with a couple people prior to cody and that was always the thing that i was coached to do and we do have a lot of coaches listening to this i hope that you know um, those who are you know similar or in the same boat as us they can kind of resonate with this but i had many people that would try to coach me out of coaching you know like hey build your team get your processes your systems all these things done and I, i i've really struggled with like letting go of coaching now just like you i'm not for me, I'm not on the floor coaching. I don't have a ton of remote clients that I work with one-on-one anymore, <clears throat> but I do try to keep a couple of personal training clients. And I do try to be on the floor because that's when I feel the most alive for me. Right. And, and I just recently went through this whole thing with, um, a course that I'm doing. And one of those, you know, it was essentially trying to ink out like what your superpower was and mine kept pointing back to coaching. Right. But we're, you're right. We are told that, you know, eventually at a certain point, we need to lead coaches and, and, while I do think that it, there is a place for us to do that, and just like you said, you have people that you mentor and stuff like that, I do as well. But the big thing is, is like I still have to coach and I still have to be on the floor. That is my superpower, and so much so to where like you know I'm working on my first course to kind of bring something to um, mm. people that are very similar to me as to like want to keep their hands in coaching and stuff like that. Uh, so probably. I am glad that you share that. Um, so what would you say, you know, there are a lot of young trainers that listen to this. There's a lot of guys that are up and coming, both nutrition, you know, personal trainers, guys that run gyms and stuff like that. What would you say to them were, were some of the, like, you know, the, the biggest, uh, I'll say needle movers in you helping to grow your business and get it to where it is now?
1: Um, first and foremost, hiring a mentor. <clears throat> like, uh, you know, one point last year, yeah, beginning of last year, I had four different coaches. I had, you know, my nutrition coach with Cody and uh, I had a, I'm, oh, maybe it was a year and a half ago. I had a podcast coach. Um, I had a full-blown business coach and I had a content coach. <laughs> like, um, I'm a coach. That's what I believe in is the art of coaching. And every time I've invested myself and listen, I invested a big chunk of money with, with a mentor that, um, yeah, I'm not going to name name, but a little bit over, deli- uh, over promise under delivered. And I got really resentful halfway through and I invested a huge chunk of money to be in this elite group and it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And I remember I got in this pity party and then it was like this light bulb moment that was like, I'm going to learn from this guy. I'm going to learn more what to do, hopefully. And I'm also going to learn how I don't want to be. And, um, I ended up getting so much out of that year. I paid up front because I learned a lot about how I personally, and it's just me within my morals and values don't want to approach business. And uh, that almost paid its weight in gold. I'm telling you, but, and be okay to make mistakes. And this goes for people's fitness journey. And again, this concept of grit and grace I talk about all the time is like, You've got to be gritty as shit. It's that whole micro speed, macro patience. And the macro patience for me is being extremely graceful with myself. Like I'm going to make mistakes. I'm, I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars that I, that I, that I wasted early on. I mean, I bought like $8,000 worth of blender bottles. Let me tell you at that time, I didn't have $8,000 to spend on blender bottles. Like that, the most, ir- but that was so important to me. And I'm grateful I did because I learned, I'm like, that's, you know, that's like a luxury expense. You don't need blender bottles to build a business. Sure, it's a nice little add-on that people can buy or you hand them to them. Sure, that's great. But is that really going to attract business for me, someone seeing a blender bottle logo? No, it's never like, but it gets the brand out there, sure. But instead of beating myself up, I just like, you know it's okay. It's all good. You have a shit ton of blender bottles now, so (laughs) whatever, you know, move on. And it's the same thing with fitness, like you literally cannot screw this up if you don't stop trying. And we are all gonna make mistakes and any successful person you look at who you think has made it, has ate shit so many times to get there. And that goes the same with the fitness journey. Like I tell my clients, okay, you ate like an asshole for all the holidays, who cares? Like I don't wanna rehash that, it was the holidays. There's a lot of times to diet and maybe, maybe the holidays was not a time to diet. I don't think it was. Let's just get back on track and the ability to get back on track. I tell people it's not about the fall down. It's about the bounce back. Your ability to get back on track defines your success. And that's in business. That's in fitness way more than when you fall down because we all fall. We all make shitty mistakes. We all have moments of of laziness and apathy. And we have these moments of motivation. It, clients always, you know, clients say, how do you stay so mot- motivated all the time? And I, I made a post about that. I said, what the hell makes you think I'm motivated all the time? Well, because you go to the gym and you eat right. Oh no, that's not motivation. This has become my reality. The days I'm motivated are beautiful. The days that I'm motivated to train are beautiful. Most of the time I just go and every time I leave, I'm grateful I went. And and so within business, it's just like it just becomes your and I I've just taken the time to to study and learn and be okay with eating shit. Like, so I can get, you know, and, and even today, like I'm very financially comfortable and sometimes I rest on my laurels with that. And, but I always feel better when I'm in creation mode, cause it sounds so cheesy, but it's really, it's not about the income. Yes, it is, but it's about me feeling like I'm creating like a legacy and I'm giving impact because I was a taker for a decade. I took from everyone and everything I took from society. I stole from innocent people. I stole from my, I was a taker. So if I can give today means more to me than, than, than giving with an expectation of always getting money in return, which is, you know, why I, I do my podcast. I, and people keep going, when are you going to monetize that bro? When are you going to monetize that? And we've had offers and I just don't really care. Like, you know, I even linked up with a supplement company and I said, but I'm not going to make you official sponsor my podcast because that's not why I ever did the podcast.
0: I love that too. Cause you know, for me, um, I actually feel the most alive like you know people always talk about trust the process trust the process trust you know you know you can't fall in love with the goal you gotta you gotta enjoy the 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 go and the grit and the drive and the early wake-ups and the client calls and the emails like um i know for me like you know this probably releasing it uh on the on the podcast here probably shouldn't do it but it is what it is Uh, like i just got done today's my first day back at my business after having covid and I was like at home for 14 days, gouging my eyeballs out because I just wanted to work. I just wanted to do something. And, you know, once I had done pretty much everything that I could do remotely, I was kind of in this place to where it's like, well, what do I do now? Right. Watch Netflix. Like, you know, it's just this, um, I I felt so lost because for me, like I enjoy that, you know, having podcast conversations and the answering the emails and handling clients and, you know, coaching and all these things that I didn't get to do for, you know, a few weeks. And, um, for me, it renewed that gratitude and it kind of reminded me of like why I do this. And like, yeah, sometimes, you know, especially right now, being a gym owner is kind of tough, especially being in Washington state, but, um, just loving and just being grateful that, you know, I'm still able to go and and I'm too dumb to stop. So, um, I love it. I'm glad
1: you're you're feeling better.
0: Yeah. I, I was good in like 12 hours, which could, I could go on because you're you're a healthy guy. Yeah, I think it's
1: really important to talk about, you Mm -hmm. know, I, I mean, you know, that's a whole nother note that, uh, you know, we need to be talking about like how healthy people have a much better chance with this thing. And mm-hmm. it's just another reason to take care of yourself.
0: Yeah. I always, you know, without going on too much of a rant here, I'm like, you know, if, if if people cared about public health more, we'd be talking more about, you know, f- fueling ourselves correctly and maybe going and exercising and, you know, trying to get ourselves in a positive mind space because that will go a lot further than, you know, really anything that's been happening. So, um, yeah, no, I appreciate
1: yeah. you saying, And listen, you know what, and I said this on my podcast and so, and, and I, I definitely got some backlash, but I think yeah. far more people liked it than not, we need shutting down gyms and isolating people in their homes so they can only like door-dash food is quite possibly the worst thing we can do for this for sure we have to like health needs to be talked about more and there's a deep frustration on my part that that our health experts in in the country aren't talking about things like taking care of yourself eating micronutrient dense foods drinking lots of water you know taking zinc taking you know vitamins like these things that this is what we need to be talking about. So I'm sorry you live in Washington state. That's <laughs> I mean, we're, we're pretty good here in Utah. Gyms have been back open since May. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that because, you know, I'll tell you where mass breakouts aren't happening at my, at my local lifetime gym here. And it's a huge gym. They're not having mass COVID breakouts. The same people that were going to May, I see all the time. Like, people, if they're catching COVID, it's not from the gym. It's because they were exposed to their sister or their, you know, and so I will, I'll stop my rant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's what, we could do it like a two hour. Like, oh my God. My, my wife will be gouging her eyes. I was, she'd be like, no, 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 don't, don't, do Cause she knows I'm super triggered right now. Um, but you know, I, and to, to kind of end it, like I, I posted one time, you know, talked about backlash and like kind of people giving me crap. Um, I, I talked on one show, just one of my solo shows. And I, and I mentioned that like, I really aimed to, you know, the whole, my body's my antibody. Like I, I kind of made that comment and I got so much crap about it, but there were so many, just like you said, they were like, yeah, you're 100% right. Like that's the you know, that's the fighting mechanism, not the mask, not the vaccine, not the lockdowns, not the quarantines. It's like, Hey, what can we do to, 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 you know, make our body like its own armor and its own protection mechanism. So, um, yeah, yeah I can appreciate that. And all those people
1: who have gym shut down and you're listening to this and you're doing whatever you got to do with bands or weird body weight exercises, or maybe awarded some mismatched dumbbells off somewhere <laughs> like Craig's props to you. Good for you. Like, you know, keep doing that. Keep being healthy. Keep getting your steps in. Keep like that. That I think is a really cool thing I saw when, when the quarantine hit here is how many of my clients got super creative. I'd never created so many band program workouts in my life. It was, it took me back to like my PT days from like 2005. I was 2003. I was like, man, I kind of forgot about training about this. Um, and it was really cool to see people be like, oh, I can still make progress. And yeah, is it easier when you're thrown around real weight? Sure. But is that better than nothing? 1000%. That's
0: funny, and, I remember uh, multiple conversations with clients where we're like, what do you got at home? And you know, cause we had like lint out all of our gear. It's crazy, we got this in, you know, this is an insane amount of things in our facility. And you know, at the end of like loading everything out, we had a single barbell, a 50 pound dumbbell, and a box. And we would use the box to stack the laptop on during our virtual stuff. And uh, I remember many times I'd be like, you know, what do you have at home? They're like, I got a backpack, some books, a two by yep. four. And we would just start throwing things together and giving them a training program based off of what they had. It took me back to my jail workouts. I would load, <laughs> I would order all the heaviest books off the library
1: with no intentions of reading them. I would put them in my pillowcase and use them as a weight. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can't tell you how many big Bibles I had. I probably should have read them, but I didn't. So I put them in there and I, and, uh, you know, it was cool. Yeah. People using gallon water jugs and, um, you know, because this is a way of life for people like us. And it's not, you know, and um, so props to you if you're out there and your gym shut down and you're being creative with shit. I admire that.
0: Of course. Of course. Uh, Brad. So again, I, I know you got appointments on end probably the rest of your day. I know you're a busy dad. So, uh, I do want to respect your time and go ahead and, and, you know, in this thing out, you know, go ahead and plug yourself. If you have anything coming out by all means, go ahead and talk about it.
1: Yeah, man. I appreciate having me on great conversation. Um, you know, my, my, uh, Instagram handle handle is the sober bodybuilder, all one word. I'm no longer a bodybuilder, but I'm still sober. So let's try to keep that going. And if not, I have to just label it the not sober, not bodybuilder, which (laughs) wouldn't be good. Um, (laughs) But maybe I'll compete bodybuilding one more day. But uh, our website for coaching is keynutrition.com. It would mean a lot more to me, though, if you'd subscribe to the podcast, the Key Nutrition Podcast, and give me a follow on Instagram um, and shoot me a message if uh, you have any questions. But, uh, yeah, we got a course coming. I got a course coming out. It's the second round called The Next Level Experience, and it's – a lot of the principles I learned in recovery. So it's a, it's an eight week program that takes you through eight different levels of anywhere health and habits to spirituality, to uh, a mental week, an emotional week, a spiritual week, a relational week an abundance week. And I have guest contributors in there. And so, um, it's a cool deal. It's, uh, the website will be dropping any day. Now I ran the full first iteration, uh, with no website. So that'll be actually a lot funner to do this marketing push with a website. So if uh, I don't know when this drops, but uh, I'll shoot you over the link.
0: Perfect. Perfect. That's all I was going to ask. I was like, can I get a link to that course? I would love to share it in the show notes here. Um, yeah. so Brad, again, thank you so much for sharing your time with a, with us today, man, your story was extremely powerful. And, uh, you know, those of you who had listened to this show, um, if you were touched by this show, be sure to reach out to Brad. He's a great dude. I've been following him for a good period of time. And, um, you know, I think very highly of you, Brad. So thank you so much for coming on the show, thank man. You.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for spending some time with me today and tuning into the virtuous fitness podcast. I release episodes every single week. You can find me at Coach Cody Smith in the gym at Virtuous Fitness WA on Instagram to stay up to date with all things Virtuous Fitness. Before you go, head over to iTunes and give this show a rating review. That is how we grow this show and make it even more impactful for you. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.